This is the Investors and Operators podcast and vlog. It is a show dedicated to interviewing high performers in finance, entrepreneurship, and the military. We explore the what and the how, but what I really want to focus on is the who and the why. My guest today is Andrew Marr. He spent almost nine years in the Army as a Green Beret medically retiring in July of 2015. With his brother, he co-founded Warrior Angels Foundation. He's also the CEO and co-founder of BrainCare, which is going to be the first telemedicine platform for head injuries. He's a TEDx speaker, a two-time guest on The Joe Rogan Show, husband and father of seven. Andrew, awesome to have you on. Hey, brother. It's awesome to be here. My honor. Let's go to September 2014. Yep. You're, you're telling me about a experience that you had at the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Can you walk me through what happened? Yeah, so I think it's like the, la- like the end of August. <clears throat> My mother-in-law is coming in from Florida. We're going to pick her up at Seattle Tacoma Airport, SeaTac Airport, because my wife, Becky, is nine months pregnant. She's due, like she's ready to go, and she's huge. Jason's been sick with a respiratory infection said he's had this lymphatic malformation in his neck, which is a growth. So by the time we got to the airport, which is about a 45-minute drive, to pick up my mother-in-law, we drive back to the house. I get out to go get Jace out of his car seat because it's nighttime and he's asleep. And this growth has grown to the size of a baseball in the span of that trip. So this huge baseball is coming out of the side of his neck. So we're like, oh, dear God. So thank And thank God for my mother-in-law being there. So we literally get my mother-in-law out of the car, let her go get her luggage out of the house and go take care of go in the house to take care of our older kids. Me and Becky head to uh, the hospital on base there at Fort Lewis. Now I'd been having this calf pain in my leg for like the last 72 hours and it was excruciating and I couldn't for the life of me understand what it was. I thought I just had some type of calf strain. I was doing my best to, to work through it. So Becky's nine months pregnant. She's ready to pop. Jace's neck just blew up. It's inhibiting his ability to breathe. We're on our way to the emergency room. Uh, so we get to the emergency room. And you have an uncontrollable blood clot or well, that, calf this pain. Is what, this, this is what we find out, yeah, later. So we get there to the emergency room. I'm like, listen, number one, my boy, 13 months, growth in his neck. He needs, he needs attention and he needs it now. Number two, on the drive over, Becky starts to go into labor, or not labor, but she starts to have labor pains. You know what I mean? Like, this is pushing her to the edge. It's a high, highly stressful uh, situation. So I was like, number two, you need to be on high alert for my wife, who's ready to give birth any moment now. And, like, that's all I care about at that point. So we actually get triaged in the ER. You know, they're looking at Jace. They're monitoring Becky. And, like, two hours later, I'm like, okay, all right. Now that, like, everybody's somewhat stabilized, like, I, have, I, I wouldn't bring this up unless you know, I needed to. Like I have a absolutely excruciating, killing pain in my leg. It's throbbing so bad that I, I need some type of uh, interdiction, pain medication, whatever, so I can continue to be here and be present for my family. So um, they checked me real quick, gave me a, a painkiller um, shot, and I was good to go. Turns out that Jace has got to go into emergency surgery. So they take him up to like, I don't know, the, the fifth floor, let's just say. And at that time, boom, Becky goes into labor. So she's got to go to the third floor to give to the to de- deliver the baby. And so Jace emergency surgery on the fifth floor, Becky on the third floor. 
I'm going back and forth between the third floor and the fifth floor to try to be present for both of them. At this point, my leg is in so much pain, I, I can't even walk anymore. So I, I got to like drag my leg wherever I'm going to kind to kind of get there. So I'm going back and forth. You know, long story short, Jace, Jace gets through that operation, is, is stabilized. He's safe. He's going to live. Get down. He'd be able to be some – I was physically present for the birth. Becky's okay. Our son is healthy, and they're good. Both are staying at the hospital overnight. I drive home to uh, change, get cleaned up. I come back in, and, and, I, and, I, and I started drinking pretty heavily. And so it gets kind of foggy at this point, but I come back to the hospital. I'm on pain pills. You know, I'm under, I've been drinking. I don't know how the word got out, but somehow I got back, and they're like, we need to check your leg. We need to get you to imaging, you know, right away. And I, I'm still unclear on how that scenario played out. But I'm like, okay. So we go down, go to imaging. They uh, do do the imaging on my calf. They find a massive blood clot there. But since we had not acted on it soon enough, it had broken off into both lungs. So what they call a bilateral pulmonary embolism. And everybody there starts freaking out. They're like, oh, my God, you know, emergency, emergency. This is a very high mortality rate. We've got a very short window here to break this up uh, before it becomes fatal. You know, I'm drunk and I'm laughing and, and I'm like, yeah, I think this is going to kill me. Like, you guys have lost your mind. you got to get in line. I go and then I'm in ICU. They're trying to stabilize me, trying to break these blood clots up. And so, you know, in the span of 24 hours, three of us are in three different hotel rooms. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Uh, hospital floors, you know, in a very serious situation, you know, that, that happened to all of us at the exact same time. So like, you can't so make your that. Son you can't make, yeah. just had an intensive surgery. Your wife just gave birth and yeah. you just had a surgery to fix a blood clot. So you didn't die. Yeah. 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 All at the exact same time. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um, how, how did you decide to make a change that something needed to be different in your life? And how, like, what was the beginning of that next chapter? It was my, after my son's last surgery. Uh, and this was a big one where they actually took out, they went in, uh, it was a very long surgery and they completely cut out the growth and it was all weaved up in, in, in his vagus nerves and all other nerves inside of his neck. So this very, very advanced, very serious nerve surgery where they actually have to go in and cut this growth out of nerves, very important nerves. Like I just can't believe the level of precision that those physicians uh, had to operate under, but they are world class at what they do. So they're able to do all that. And he had a horrible, he came out of it and just had a horrible seven or eight hours in ICU, had some very bad reactions to some of the medications and we thought we were going to lose them. And uh, it was just a night, it was an absolute nightmare for parents. Main takeaway is, is he lived and he's, he's happy as a boy could be today. But it was during that process where he's actually getting some rest and some sleep that I had this personal moment of clarity that my life was at a crossroads and I understood it was going to go one of two ways. If I continued on the same path that I was on, I understood that it was most likely going to kill me. But what really turned me was as I looked down at my boy, I had realized that I was of zero value to him or my family in the condition that I was in. So the other, only other option as I saw it was to revert back to my most foundational level of training, 
was to was to embrace this current level of pain instead of run from it and to channel it uh, correctly and to act on it to improve my situation. And so the promise that I made my boy and myself right there at his hospital bed is threefold. One, I would return to the man of my pre-injury status. Two, I would find a way to come off all the medication that I was told I would have to be on. And in my mind, those two were non-negotiable. And the third thing was, is once I had accomplished one and two, I would spend the rest of my life turning around and helping other individuals and families who were in the exact same condition that I was and my family was in. So that was kind of the, the lightning strike that I received that repurposed my life in a new direction. How did you, from that moment on, what was it like to start recovering to where you're at now? I mean, what were the next three to six months like? How did you actually begin the path to get off of, you know, double-digit medications, having diagnoses of like 33 disabilities, everything that the doctors are saying? How the hell did you start moving forward? I just talked to anybody and everybody who was doing different things, uh, alternative therapies. I tried, I got really interested in the brain. Uh, I didn't even know there was a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere, pre, you know, prior to that, things you just never think about when, <laughs> when, you're, when you're doing life. What I realized going through my own like blood clot journey was that, hey man, like nobody's going to do this for me. Nobody's going to jump in as a savior and say, hey Andrew, this is what you need to do. And these are the steps you need to take. I'm like, this is all on me. No one's going to do it for me. So I better act like this is my life depends on it. I knew what I was doing and what I was told was the only way. Well, that just flat out wasn't working. And I've known enough hard ass individuals at that point that had taken their own lives, which I didn't understand at that point. But I, I had another moment of clarity where I understood the cycle that led to an individual wanting to kill themselves, even people in our community. And I was like, this, I'm just not going that way. So I'm willing to do anything and everything. My wife and I took out a number of credit cards. The military was the insurance program. They were going to pay for certain types of things. So there's all these new modalities out there that are just very promising. People are getting great results on their evidence-based, they're scientifically based, but they're not practiced under the standard insurance method of care. No, that wasn't going to stop me. So I flew all over the country. I would literally like get in the plane, charge it, show up at their doorstep, say, hey, this is who I am. I want access to this treatment and I would do it. So I went all over the country doing things like that. Sometimes you know, we would get it comped and, and sometimes we would have to pay for it. Didn't matter to me. And so that kind of just started to put me in there where I would learn new things, get on the ground, talk to other people, talk to these advanced providers and find out what the deal was. Got very interested in neuroendocrinology. And you know, so that pathway led me on to link up with a doctor who was able to essentially reach out to me and say, Andrew, I understand what you're going through. We can actually identify what's happening to you through an objective measurement, and we can then uh, actually treat those underlying conditions. And here's what the science says. Here's what my clinical application of it says, is that when we can do that, and we can make a personalized plan that's specific to you to identify, then treat that underlying condition, we can improve your quality of life. And I can't say specifically what it's gonna do to you, but here's historically what's happened. Well, that was enough for me, man. And is this Dr. Mark way. Gordon? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, That's you guys did the Joe Rogan show together? Uh-huh, yep. Okay. Yeah. So and, when, uh, when did you meet him? For me. yeah. When did you meet him, and what were the next couple of months like to start recovering? It was 2015 I started 
working with, uh, with Mark. I flew out to California to see him, did this advanced uh, lab panel. He gave what's called a uh, provocative shot of uh, testosterone to see how I respond to it uh, in lieu of getting the results back of our lab test. I responded phenomenally well. And what you're looking for with a provocative test, testosterone injection, is to see, hey, if this person is grossly deficient, there should be some improvement in symptomatology in you know, this first 72 hours. Well, like within three hours, I was completely anxiety-free, depression-free, like to the point where like I'm wearing around this lead vest that you wear uh, when you go to the dentist, you know, when you get x-rays. It yeah. felt like, but like 10 times heavier, it felt like I had taken that off and I could breathe and see things clearly for like the first time in, you know, in over 12 or 16 months. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, man, like if, if this is just the tip of the iceberg and this is back to how I can feel on a routine basis, like I, I can't wait to get the actual results back and have an actual plan of care based off me uniquely. So when we applied his protocol to me, which is just the application of science that already exists, in 90 days time, I had a 100% turnaround as in none of my symptoms were present at that 90 day period, which is, I was told impossible. And since 2015, I've been symptom and, uh, you know, those medications, symptom medication free, performing as good, if not better than my pre-injury status. For people who are feeling overwhelmed, anxious, hopeless, whatever they're experiencing right now, especially with what's going on with the health crisis and the economy, like, what are some things that people should do just to check in with themselves and then what can they do to start to get help now whether this is uh, emotionally and maybe specific to potential tbi issues i'll caveat with with you know i don't have any medical training and you know I, i'm not a, a medical doctor or anything like that but as somebody who's lived it and 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 now over the last five years has been very close with helping others through kind of their process. I think it's very important to kind of be, be self-aware as to, to what you're feeling and to kind of understand, you know, if that's new or, or not characteristic of kind of your, your background. Because that, that's number one. Because, we, man, we all have bad days. Um, but if it's becoming something chronic, we need to become aware of that and today society will say that at some point is really it's a mental health issue or it's some type of moral failing you know type of deal this is what we've experienced at least uh in, in the military and what we found more times than not it's really a subcomponent of a physiological mechanism that's kind of driving that and that could be through poor diet that could be lack of sleep that could be from lack of sunlight it could be from a head injury, you know, it could be from a lot of different things that can cause that. And there's a, a lot of varieties or a lot of variables in there all working together that can cause that. But like being aware, self-aware is step number one. And then step number two is deciding, you know, who is it that I want to be? What do I want out of my life? And I think that's, that's the next thing we have to ask ourselves. And from there, 
that self-awareness followed into realizing who is it that I want to be or who am I working to be or what is it that I want can drive us into, I think, more productive arenas or more productive decision spaces than just getting caught in that negative psychological inner thought pattern that's not really beneficial or loving to the individual. So from, from somebody who's lived it, that would be my first, you know, points of advice for anybody. Like, uh, go through that process, ask yourself those questions. That will most likely lead you into different areas that he hadn't thought about that should be able to help you improve or live a better, better life. So how does this lead into what you started with your brother mm-hmm. and the uh, Warrior Care Foundation? Yeah, so kind of going back to, you know, what I promised my boy was that you know, I was going to turn around and help others how to do that. Didn't know what that meant or what it was. I'm sorry, like. Warrior Angels Foundation. Yeah. <laughs> I got the name wrong. That's okay, man. Uh, Warrior Angels Foundation. So after we linked up with Mark, we had already started the foundation and talking about, I mean, there was no strategy. There was no business plan. It was just like, we're going to help people. <laughs> you know, like we didn't, we, we didn't have any plan to raise money. Nothing. Just willingness to say, there's a problem here. I don't even have a solution for it, but we're going to find it. I don't recommend that to anybody, but that's what we did. So we had the foundation, um, you know, on paper before we even got linked up with Mark Gordon. After we went through Mark, it became really evident that that was what we wanted to endorse and get behind because there's a lot of different other modalities, but we felt like that was a step one process. Step one meaning that we could actually identify and help to resolve the underlying condition that worked to you know, improve quality of life. There's all these other modalities, but that, that almost was step two, because if you didn't do the step one and you didn't resolve those underlying conditions, those other things became either ineffective or non-sustainable. Um, but if we could do what we're going to do in step one, these other ancillary modalities were kind of synergistic at that point, And they could make those types of um, results sustainable. We wanted to endorse personalized brain care. So we set up our nonprofit to bring that level of personalized brain care to other service members and veterans who were suffering with the symptoms of their head injuries. So we were kind of the kind of the first, not kind of, we were the first nonprofit to offer this personalized medicine through the telemedicine virtual platform to our end users. And so since 2015, we've helped to fund over 350 plus other individuals to get the same level of care that my that I received and we just produced like clinically results that we've been told were impossible and but yet now we have this amount of evidence to support that not only we can identify it we can help to resolve and actually improve individuals quality of life so that's how kind of the warrior angels came out about and that's what we've been doing the last five years and the traction that that's produced has been significant. Can you talk both, a little bit more about yeah. the traction and just, you know, is there like a, a group and like how many percentage of people got better in a certain amount of time? Can you talk a little bit more about the results that you guys have seen? These are again, what's called clinical observations because this is not like a controlled double blind placebo type of research thing. This is uh, we're on the front lines. This is the clinical application of science that already exists. So these are our clinical observations. Clinical observations show that 75% of our treatment population report a greater than 50% improvement in those first 90 days of treatment. By the end of year one, 
it's usually about a 75% improvement. And the majority of those individuals at that point have been able to come off of all their psychotropic uh, medications and, and all the other medications that they were kind of told on they would have to be on for the rest of their lives. So we've replicated not only that in our personal practice, but with other providers in our network. So very much, you know, under the scientific model is, can you predict, can you measure, and can you replicate? Well, we've been doing that all over the country and actually have providers that we've trained in other, in other countries as well, producing these types of results over and over and over again. So again, it's, it's not anything like a cowboy or cavalier type of treatment protocol. It's science that already exists. It just hasn't been applied and interpreted in an individualized manner where you can get access to this high level precision neuroendocrinological care through a actual you know, patient, TBI patient platform. So we were kind of the first ones to push that into the mainstream. So you know, when you produce those type of results, results typical, similar to mine, people are going to talk about it. Like they can't, but not talk about it. People have said, hey, my life is over and now I'm back living, I'm in the game of life again. Well, word spreads and like we don't, we have just a ton of earned media that just come to us in, in the health domain and other domains. So we've been spreading this message for the last five years, so much so that in the last two years, over 7,000 people have reached out for more than 32 different countries. I don't even keep track of this year's numbers. And they didn't say, hey, we want access to the nonprofit. They said, hey, we have money. We want to pay for this level of care because everything that you've been saying on these shows is what I'm experiencing to the T. And the only thing that I've been told was I could go to talk therapy or I could take psychotropic medication and that I made some type of moral failing and I just have to live this life of misery. And so we have this huge body of people coming out and saying like, I can't even believe that we can objectively identify these things in the brain that's causing a lot of these symptoms. And not only that, we can, we can treat them effectively and resolve it and retain, you know, uh, and, and live a higher quality of life. So that's kind of the traction there, man. My brother and I wrote Tales from the Blast Factory. It was a bestseller in three different, on three different categories on uh, Amazon. That got picked up uh, to be a full feature documentary by a two-time Emmy award-winning director uh, called Quiet Explosions that's due out this August. We had like Academy Award winners contribute to the film, um, just like a full Hollywood uh, supporting uh, cast on the back end. Like I said, it'll, it'll be out this August. 9-11 fighter fighters, special forces operators, mm. like prominent big wave surfers and everybody in between, in addition to all the top clinicians, neuroscientists, and people in the medical domain as it, as it relates to brain injuries. So there's never been a story on, I'll say on the big screen, even though we're not going to do the big screen anymore. There's never been a story on there that just not only identified a problem, but actually put forth real solutions, evidence-based and scientifically valid solutions, as well as a bunch of stories to support it and all the scientists uh, and clinicians behind it, man. So we'll be the, it'll be the first film that does that. And we're super awesome. excited about it. it. It'll be a big to do come out this August. We signed with a major distributor uh, just a few months back ago. What are you doing now with brain care? Yeah. So what, what we, what this really showed us, and this all been accidental. It's never like I had some grand plan to jump into traumatic brain injury care and look for gaps in the market. It just became evident as I learned the entire ecosystem through the nonprofit, being very close to the end user or the user with the problem, proving out our solution, you know, over time, 
and then being consultants for like the Department of Defense, Ministry of Defense, and these other things, then having all these people come to us and say, man, like we need access to this, and realizing the bottleneck was that we didn't have enough trained providers in this advanced methodology. So it became pretty simple to me, man. Like we need to scale this to be a digital, you know, telemedicine, telemedicine model that we're able to do everything that we're doing through the nonprofit at scale so we can get more people access to this high level of brain care. So that's how the, the undertakings to move this out of a nonprofit into a for-profit kind of solution. Because we got into the nonprofit, I thought, you know, what, what we're gonna do is we're gonna influence medical policy. Five years later, I realized like, that's the last thing to change. If you really wanna make true change, if you really have something that's worth its weight in gold, that can really help a lot of people, the best thing to do is let it do battle in the free open market, you know, pure capitalistic play. And so, you know, I said, okay, well, I don't have the training for that. So that's why I went to business school, which get those, that formal training and allow to develop and extend kind of my thinking on it. And that was, that was the catalyst for it. It was like, okay, I'm going to come up with brain care, be the first telemedicine platform to deliver personalized brain care and make it simple, accessible and affordable to the masses. So that's the story behind it. That's where we're at. We're, at, we're just in the investing race to get that, uh, get that platform off the ground. It's an incredible story and it's relevant because my dad passed from a brain tumor. My brother passed from a brain tumor. And so when I heard your story and we worked together, kind of do the prep for the pitch to Matt Higgins on Shark Tank, you know, just really resonated. One of the questions I had is like, what are some of these stories that you have heard of people reaching out to you that give you that constant motivation to keep on pushing hard? I wanted to kill myself because I didn't want to be this demon that my family had to put up with. Going from that, saying, I have the cognitive wherewithal now to go back, get a, I'm not talking about me personally, I'm talking about this as a story I've out many times. I can go back, I can start a business, I can go back to school, I can get employed, I can get re-engaged in my community, I'm there for my children, I'm there for my spouse, I'm making a difference, I'm excited about getting out of bed in the morning, I'm excited about making the future that I want to make, and before I had given up all hope, and I thought everything was lost to the point where I thought the only way out was to kill myself. And I have 300 success stories just on a similar page as that. When you, how can you quantify somebody saying that I, I thought life was over and the only solution I thought was to end it, to saying I'm living my highest and best life now? I don't know of anything more rewarding. You know what I mean? I don't know, like, how, how do you quantify that other than say, like, all we do is was help, help that individual get access to care. Like that's the only part I played in it. But the end result was that. That was enough to let me know like this gives my life a tremendous amount of purpose and meaning, knowing that what we're doing allows others to get back in the game of life, to re-engage with their families, to be present, to do what they want to do in the community, job-wise, whatever it means for the individual, but get them back to the place where they have the freedom to choose. You know, that, that, that to me is what it's about. That's to me why it's so pivotal and the driving force behind us 
moving it out of a nonprofit into a for-profit because all the heartbreaking stories that I have to hear every day that we can't help has just as great an impact on me as the success stories do. You know what I mean? So those are the things that easily drive me to continue. It's amazing work. One of your talks, you were given a quote from Will Durant. And I was wondering if you could share that quote and just kind of think about how you have lived that throughout your life. Yeah. The quote is this, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And to me, what that really means is think life, life is about decisions and game of life is going to happen and it's going to unfold as it will. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's tragic. But if you can make that decision ahead of time, it said, no matter what, I'm going to be able to elevate my internal state to be greater than my external circumstance. Then you realize that you have a power inside of you that elevates you to a position where no matter what happens, you can handle it. You can take it. And, and then you start to realize, okay, well, how can I prepare myself to be ready for whatever that is when it comes? That to me is what that quote's about. It's about a decision. And it's about a decision to, you don't just get out of bed and say all of a sudden, I think I'm going to be excellent today. Or it's 5 a.m. and I don't feel like getting out of bed. Well, you already made the decision. I don't give a f what I feel like. I said that the sacrifice is worth it for the end state. And that's enough for you to be in alignment with that greater vision of the future, being defined by a vision of the future. So that that's what I've done my best to live by, whether I've, attained it or not, you know, I've fallen short more times than I've accomplished it, but it's something to shoot at. I think it's something to shoot at that can help us live a better life if we're able to follow that kind of process. Well, that was exactly what I needed to hear personally. <laughs> <laughs> I needed to hear that, man. Um, it just really, I really love how you described elevating your internal state to be greater than the external circumstances. And that fine balance between what you feel to do versus what you need to do. <laughs> Where can people who are interested reach out to you to either help with Warriors Angel Foundation or if people are interested in Brain Care Inc., how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, uh, just a Andrew Marr there. Warrior Angels Foundation website is WAF tbi.org. We got a wealth of information on there. And if you want to find out more about uh, brain care, it's getbraincare.com. So uh, any of those three ways, but you want to talk to me individually, uh, LinkedIn is a good way. And your last name is M-A-R-R Mar. Yep. yep. Two R's. Awesome. Andrew, you're incredible. Yeah. Hey, it's been an honor brothers uh, meeting with you and, and thank you for everything you're doing for the community, bro. I just, it's uh, nothing but love and respect for it. I fit to help. See ya.